Options and the Mission Projects. We're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning. But before that, we're going to go to the Word of God to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The events that we celebrate in the next week or so have changed the world more than any other single thing or person or event. Jesus Christ is the touchstone, the focus point of all of history. There's no doubt that people like Alexander the Great have changed history. Or any of the dictators uh, could be, you know, someone like Hitler. Have they changed the world? The answer is, of course. Lots of other things have left their mark on this world. Only Jesus Christ has left an eternal mark on this world. This morning, you may say, well, this is Palm Sunday. Why you, don't you just go on a side issue off of uh, 1 Corinthians? Because 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is going to focus us very clearly on what we are celebrating. In fact, is right smack in the middle of this passage, this chapter, we find these words. Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast not with old leaven, nor the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The whole concept in this chapter is that there were big-time problems in the Corinthian church. That is not a new concept. All of you that have been here for most of this series know that uh, they were the bad boys of all the New Testament churches. They had everything wrong with them. But there is one thing that he points out very, very specifically and says, if I was there, this is what I would do. And that's this chapter. And you go, why would you talk about church discipline and dealing with open sin on Palm Sunday? It's very relevant according to this. This is the basis celebrating the Passover, celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread, celebrating the work of Christ on the cross is the very basis on which we deal with sin of all sorts, whether it's sin for our salvation or whether it's sin in the church in general. And so today, we are going to be talking about something called yeast, I read it up there. It says leaven. I have never baked a thing in my life. I don't think I have. If I did, you wouldn't want to eat it anyway. My wife, on the other hand, is a good baker. She makes all kinds of great desserts. Uh, And uh, some of them require yeast and uh, others require some other kind of leavening. It doesn't matter what kind of leavening it is. What it does, it expands things. And when you mix it in, it affects the whole cake or the whole bread, or whatever it happens to be, it affects it all. That's the point this morning. As Jesus Christ and his work on the cross affects every part of society for 2,000 years now, and even before that, when they were looking ahead to what Christ would do, yeast on the other hand, or leaven on the other hand, can affect us in a negative way. We'll see that as we go through uh, this passage. This passage deals with open, known sin. 
This is not some secret sin that somebody has, and so you're peeking over somebody's shoulder to see if they're doing something right or wrong. That is not what this is about at all. This is something that is absolutely known by everyone in the church and absolutely not dealt with. In fact, is as we go through, you'll see it's way worse than that because they had not only overlooked dealing with it, but they had kind of patted themselves on the shoulder and on the back and said, you know what, we are bigger than sin. We don't have to deal with it. You know what, our, our motto is we tolerate. And Paul says, if I was there, believe me, things would be different. And even if I'm not there, I'm already in my mind and I am instructing you, deal with it. So let's look at that and see that. First of all, when we deal with this, it is open sin. Dealing with sin is never about vengeance, and it's never getting even, and it's not some personal grudge. If you do that, don't even bother with this whole thing. It also requires that, it, that sin be dealt with at an appropriate level. I've dealt that with that in other sermons a few months ago. I, we're not going to deal with that today. But you don't go, you, I, I say, you don't take a sledgehammer to kill an ant. You don't do that. You know, that's not what you do. You deal with it appropriately, as we will find out from the Scripture, that you deal with sin privately and personally. If that doesn't work, you take someone else who knows exactly what's going on, a firsthand witness. And if that doesn't work, you go to the leaders of the church. And if that doesn't work, uh, then and only then do you deal with it in a public manner. Obviously, they had done none of those things. Period. That's what the real issue in this chapter is. Nothing had been done. In fact, they were tolerating it. It doesn't deal with the, the circumstances that caused it, but it does deal with some of the consequences that come from sin. So with that as a little bit of a background, let's look at the 13 verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 1. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind that does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. Here's what it comes down to. Even in Corinth, which just about everything went. Remember, they had religious prostitutes, so you, you, you don't get much further down than that. They did everything wrong. Every kind of sin you can think of, they engaged in it. But even they would not tolerate incest. In this case, this guy was not sleeping with, having sex with his mother. Notice it says father's wife. It doesn't say his mother. So it's his stepmother. Nonetheless, even the pagan said, this is not right. And the Apostle Paul knew that, and he said, you are worse than Sin City, Corinth. <laughs> the church is worse. Unfortunately, today we see that where the church, uh, for example, tolerates and uh, doesn't preach against, let's say, abortion or same-sex marriage and all those things. And some people in the world go, I don't know, I, I got to draw the line there. The thing is, the church needs to take a stand. Corinth was not doing that. In fact is, look at verse 2. You have become arrogant. 
so that the one who has done this deed would be, uh, I'm sorry, I missed the the phrase. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. Now notice, the removed from your midst is the very end of the process. But they had done nothing. But he's saying it is that bad that you should have said, this isn't right. We have to cut out the cancer. We'll see what that, why I said that in a few moments. But he said, you become arrogant. In fact, that comes down to this. We looked at that word arrogant last week. It's like, I'm up here and I put you down. Here's what it comes down to. If somebody would have come to the church leaders, the elders, and said, you know, so-and-so is sleeping with his stepmother, they would have said, who are you to judge? And actually ridicule that guy. They had become arrogant. The person who would have spoken up and said, this is wrong, they ridiculed him. They made him feel bad. That's how bad it was. So if, if you're saying, are you making a big deal out of this? The answer is, of course I am. Why? Because that's what the scripture does. And that's what the apostle Paul is telling them. He said, you should have been in grief about this. Instead, you were arrogant. You had the 100%, 180 degree wrong view of what was going on. He said, you should have gotten rid of this. And he is challenging, in this case, the church to live fully for the Lord, uh, to the fullest extent. Now, I, my experience tells me that when people get into really bad sin, you never even get a chance to deal with it as a church. They self-excommunicate themselves. It's like somebody said something, they looked at me kind of cross-eyed, and, uh, well, I can't go to that church because they're going to hold me accountable, and they leave, go someplace else, uh, blend into a congregation someplace where nobody knows them, and never, ever deal with the sin. That's sad, Uh, In Corinth, they couldn't do that. There was only one church. So they had to deal with it. In fact, I want to make it clear before we go too much further. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it tells us how to deal with this. Because if you think, I'm going to be a sin detective, and I'm going to walk around, I'm going to sneak around, and if I find out that Paul or somebody else is doing something, man, I'm I'm going to put them on the hot seat. That is never the way it's to be dealt with. In fact, is Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says this. It says, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, notice, it is not just I'm out to be critical and find problems. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. That's power, but absolutely under control. Each one of you looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. When you start getting critical of other people, I'll guarantee you there's another verse that says, when you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. So be careful. If you think this is like you take this and make it something I'm not making it today, and the Bible's not making it, you're in trouble for yourself because now you become... Super spiritual, look at me, you know, I've got the S on me, I'm super, super Christian, and I'm going to make sure everybody else stays in line. You're in big trouble. 
But here's how it continues. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So be careful because when we start being critical of others and start uh, pointing out things in other people's lives, we now are open season for the devil, for the world, for our own self-will that we too can be in problems. Does sin need to be dealt with? The answer is absolutely yes. How do you deal with it? You need to deal with it in an absolutely spiritual way and with gentleness and the power of God and only that for a good end result. Not so you look like the spiritual detective and the judge and the jury and everything else. That is never the way it's supposed to be. Verse 3 goes on to say, For I on my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit. Notice he says this two times, present in spirit, and then he says, I'm with you in spirit. So he says, if you don't have a backbone to do this, let it be known. You can just say, Paul, the apostle, is sitting in the front row saying amen. That's what he's doing here. Uh, With the power of the Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, that sounds pretty harsh. Guess what? It is. (laughs) There's no way to get around that. But understand everything you know in there. He says, if I was there, remember, he had been there five years before this. He's gone for five years. He's writing to them saying, you have some things you need to get straightened out. I'm not there right now, but if I was, this is what I would do. If I had the ability to simply be there, I'd be there. I think today he would have Skyped in and said, you know, here's what you need to do or something along that line. But he is making it clear that they need to deal with it. And you look at that last part in verse 5 and you go, wow, how does that work? I'm going to deliver someone to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. The word flesh means the body, the outward body. Here's what I know, and when we get to chapter 11, and we will do that in the future, and it is the chapter that we normally turn to when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. But it says there that in the church, there are a number who are weak and sick, and a number sleep. That is a phrase, that word sleep simply means they died. Why have they died? Well, because if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so we will not be condemned along with the rest of the world. If you want to know, I believe in the security of the believer. I believe that once you are saved, you are secure. And this verse here is the one that I would turn to first when somebody says, you're wrong about that. But here's what I do know from that verse and what the Apostle Paul was saying is this. That God will take you out of this world physically before you would get to the point where he would have to take away your salvation. This verse, these two things together are really, really strong. Now there are lots and lots, dozens and dozens of verses that back this up in different ways. But this is 
probably the best or the focus point of all of this. When he says, I'm delivering you to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, he's saying, I'm going to take you out of this world. If you guys don't judge this person and they don't deal with it, I'm going to say, God, turn them over to Satan. Destroy them. Doesn't mean he'll lose his salvation. It means he'll lose his life, his physical life. So that I don't have to take his salvation away. Wow. I'll tell you what. God, that is kindness, by the way. Because if I was God, I would do the opposite. The, the, the mind tells me, the human mind tells me, if somebody just plain acts in a rebellious way over and over and won't deal with sin, just take them out, take away their salvation, take away the grace, the mercy, the love, the, the, the redemption, take it all away. God doesn't work that way. He says, no, 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 no. I will take away their life. That's why when you partake in the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do today, if you know that there is sin in your life and you're unwilling to deal with it, be careful. I haven't had anybody drop dead uh, at Garden Chapel. Praise the Lord. I hope I never do. I never hope I never see that. But I know that God says that he can and will do that. That's serious business. That is nothing to mess with. Because I'm not making it up. He's the one that said it. And the Apostle Paul makes it clear that he would have personally done that. He said, you know what? You won't deal with this sin. You, Satan, take care of him. And uh, take him out of your midst. He goes on to say in verse 6, he says, you're boasting. Now notice it. He said they were arrogant before this. Now he says they are boasting. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven, a little yeast, leavens the whole lump of dough? Again, I am not a baker nor uh, any of those kinds of things, but I know that you don't put a cup full of yeast in. You put a cup full of sugar, a cup full of lard or... uh, what do you put in, fake Crisco or butter or whatever, and uh, flour. You, you put large quantities. But if you're going to put leaven, yeast, or some kind of baking soda or something that's going to expand it, you just put a teaspoonful in or just a little tiny bit of it. But it affects the whole thing. If it doesn't affect the whole thing, <laughs> you have a glob over here and fluffy over here. And nobody wants that. But he says when you have this, it affects Everything. He says, your boasting's not good because a little bit of this affects the whole. What he is saying is this. Any church, in this case Corinth, in that case it would be us, or any other church, if you allow sin in one way, one place, what it does is it begins to affect the whole church. And it does. It takes away the effectiveness. It affects everybody else. They're like, well, you know what? Hey, this guy gets away with it, so why should I care what I do? I'm going to do whatever I want. Oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sleeping with my stepmother. But you know what? If that's okay, wow, that's really bad. It doesn't matter if I lie a little bit over here or I cheat a little over here or I swear a little over here. Uh, you know what? What's the big deal? Nobody cares. You see, it begins to affect. Unfortunately, some of you have dealt with cancer. I know what they do with cancer. They either 
cut out the cancer cells or they radiate them or they give you some kind of uh, chemotherapy that kills those cells because they know that cancer is cells that are abnormal that multiply in most cases very quickly. And the only way you can stop it is to get rid of the cancer cells themselves so that it doesn't continue to spread. That's the that's the, the picture that we have in front of us here. A little bit, a little bit of that leaven affects everyone, not just the person. No man is an island unto themselves. You cannot say, well, I, I can do whatever I want because it doesn't bother anybody else. It doesn't affect anybody else. The answer is that is never true. It's never true when you do good things because it affects other people. It changes everything. And when you do bad things, it affects everyone. There's no way to get around that. It's just the way it is. It's a law of sowing and reaping, if you will. What you sow, you reap. If you sow good things, good things come out of it. If you sow bad things, bad things come out of it. That's the way it works. And then he goes on to say in verse 7, Clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. There's only one way for leaven, yeast or otherwise, to not affect the whole batch of whatever you're doing. You've got to clean it out, get rid of it completely and totally. Yeast grows and expands, and it does. And that's what he's saying. Get rid of the leaven because a little tiny bit of it affects the whole. And you need to clean it out completely. The way that is written, and I I don't always like boring anybody with Greek, but this one here pulls out all the stops. It is a a once-and-done command. It's not, well, I'll take a little out here, and maybe later I'll take a little out here, and then a little I'll take out here, if I feel like it. This is 100% the opposite. It's saying, no, boom, cut it off once and for all, and do it. It's not an option. It is what you are to do as a church. These are not fun things when you're a pastor and you stand up here and you go, does this mean the leaders of the church have to deal with sin? The answer is, yeah. Do I ever look forward to it? You better believe I do not. It is not a fun part of being a pastor. It's not a fun part of being anything in church leadership. But he says, when you clean the old out, then you become a new lump, a lump, a church in this case, that is not affected by the yeast, by the leaven itself. And then he goes on to say something that is really, really important, and that will bring us to our main passage this morning that has to deal not only with this passage, but also with the Lord's Supper. He says, just as you are unleavened. Now, if you have a version, they'll probably say something like this. Just as you are, in fact, unleavened. The in fact is not there. It's just, you are unleavened. Why are you unleavened? Well, for Christ, our Passover also has been sacrificed. You see, Christ didn't die for some sin or part of your sin or past sin or maybe future sin. With all sin, all leaven, all wrong things. When you trusted Christ, he gave you a brand new life. You are a new creature, a new person. All sin has been dealt with. I'll tell you what, that's a clean slate. That is a new lump 
with no infection by yeast or leaven of any sort. Okay? That's what we celebrate. That's what Christ has done. His body was given for us. His blood was shed so our sin would be totally paid for. And when you trust him, that is now true of you. You are a new lump unaffected by yeast. Unfortunately, you live in a world that has yeast all over it. And you allow that yeast to get into your lump. Because there's what... Therefore, therefore is therefore a reason. He says, because of what Christ has done, the Passover, because of what Christ has done, you now can celebrate the feast. Here's how it works. And I'm going to do this very quickly. The Passover was, and this comes from Leviticus chapter 23. There are some uh, discrepancies I still haven't figured out. Peter and I spent hours this week trying to figure some of this stuff out. I don't believe there are contradictions in Scripture. I'm just not smart enough to figure it all out yet. One of these days, by the time I'm... Probably after, after I retire, I'll probably figure out how to get this all straight. But anyway, the Passover is this. You remember the Passover. God was going to judge the Egyptians for what they did. And he told the Jewish people and anyone else who wanted to, on the 14th day of the first month of the year, take a lamb, slay it, put the, the blood on the doorpost. And that night, when the death angel comes over, he will pass over your house. That's where we come. We, they were delivered from Egypt. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says we are delivered from sin, a new lump. Then they were to celebrate the feast of unleavened bread. That's why we use matzah and not regular bread that you would eat to make a sandwich. Why? Because matzah doesn't have leavening. It represents celebrating, living out the feast. They did it for seven days the day after. So for seven days, they, as they were leaving and departing from Egypt, they did not eat leavened bread. They didn't have time for it to rise. And so it didn't rise. In our case, that was for seven days. That's a ritual. That's a foreshadow of what Christ would do. He would become the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He also was the one that made it possible for us to live not in sin, not affected by the leaven of sin, but we could live and continue to live not in sin, but above sin. Because what Christ has done. So when you take the Old Testament foreshadow of what Christ has done, you go, oh, that Old Testament is kind of dull. Compared to what Christ has done for us, it's really great. That's why when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it should be a time of sorrow. If you're living in sin, it should be a time of sorrow. And you should stay away from it. And you should deal with the sin in your life. On the other hand, it's a time of rejoicing if you know that you've trusted Christ and you know you're living righteously. Because we are to continue to live and celebrate the feast. Not seven days, not seven years, not even 70 years. The whole life. Because some of you, are, you know, you've been a Christian for a long time. Longer than I am old. Hey, 
That's, that's getting old, but uh, you know what? We're to live that way because Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. We now have the possibility of living above the circumstances. And we are to do it. It says, not with the leaven of malice and wickedness. And if you look those things up, here's what it comes down. Malice is acting like you're bad to the bone. I, I ask I know that's an old rock and roll song, but it simply means you are bad to the very core. In other words, that's what they were doing. They were acting like Christ had never forgiven their sin. They were acting just like they always had. The old sin nature was in total control. Just don't do it. That's malice. And wickedness simply means you're doing everything that's worthless. But he says, here's how you should live. He says you should live with the unleavened bread of sincerity. Genuine, authentic. Literally, it means tested by sunlight. It's what I do when I'm working in my shop and I can't see something. I take the part, I walk outside in the full sunlight because my eyes are not what they used to be. And finally, I can look at that and say, oh, I can read that little number. You know, or I can see that that flaw or whatever it is. That's what this is saying. We check it. When it says we are to examine ourselves before we take of the Lord's Supper. That's what it's talking about. Go out there and in sincerity look at your life. And then it says truth. Reality. Not fooling yourself. Not escaping notice. Don't let sin. Well, I know I've got some sin, but I'll, I'll just let that one slide. It says, no, no, no. <laughs> That's not how you do this. It ends with, and we're going to just do this rather quickly. He said, I'm not asking you to stay away from all the world. You can't live that way. The person at the grocery store, the gas station, the neighbor, the co-worker, he's not saying, hey, you know, deal with them. They're part of the world. You know, that's not not your your problem. They need the gospel. But he said, in the church... Hey, deal with this. And if you won't deal with it and they won't deal with it, you know what? You need to, well, as it ends with, but those who are outside, God judges. Those that that aren't part of the church, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. He says, you know what? There is a place. It's the end result. It's if nothing else works. By the way, that very seldom happens, but it can says, you know, if there's a person that's a part of the church and they will not deal with it, you need to remove yourself from them. That's harsh. But it's a reality. Because if you don't, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And it begins to affect you. So you either deal with it or it controls you. That's it. As the the men gather uh, for... um, taking the Lord's Supper, just a reminder, kind of just going over what we've already looked at, is this is for those that have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. If, you're, if Christ is not your Passover, this means nothing. It's uh, some grape juice and matzah. If you've trusted Christ, it's for you. It's also a time to examine yourself, to make sure that you're living as a new lump, not the old lump that has the the yeast of sin in it. I'm going to ask 
Brother Jeff, if he would thank the Lord for the body that he gave for us on the cross. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. I'm going to ask Brother Mike if he would thank the Lord for his shed blood.
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, This cup is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Drink from it, all of you. If you would please rise as we are dismissed in prayer. Lord, thank you for this reminder, this memorial of what you have done for us. And I pray that as we are reminded of Christ our Passover who was slain, that we would celebrate the feast of unleavened bread, not for days or hours or even months or years, but for the rest of our lives. Lord, I thank you for the reminder that you give us on a regular basis of the great power of your work. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God and be a blessing to someone else.